Our This Week in XR podcast is sponsored by our friends at Sapper, the world's leading augmented reality platform and creative studio. With over 11 years of experience working with the world's biggest brands through Zapper Creative Studio. Zapper also has an award-winning web AR platform, Zapworks, that lets you create your own mobile AR magic. Finally, check out their Zap Box, the most affordable mixed reality headset on the planet. Start creating AR over at zap.works or talk to them about your next AR project at zapper.com. Good morning, everybody. I'm Charlie Fink with Ted Shilowitz and Roni Abovitz for This Week in XR. It's February 17th, 2023. Hey, guys. Morning, gentlemen. Hey. And interest, morning. we live in interesting times. Yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you have to, the, there wasn't, you know, in terms of the news this week, there wasn't a, a big, big headline, except the AI whirlwind is blowing all around us. Yeah. And it's, you know, I, I can't compare it to XR. To me, it feels more like a smartphone or the internet, like it's going to have really far-reaching effects in so, so many different verticals. And we're really, as we were in like 1994, just starting to figure out what this possibly means, not just for our own area of expertise, but, you know, to the world. Yeah, I've, I've explained. I'm curious if you guys have had to, had to do this um, in your life over the last, certainly the last week, last couple of weeks, explain the difference between how Google 1.0, Google Classic, as I guess we'd call it, scrapes the internet to find relevant links and then sort of ranks them and builds them versus what these AI systems are doing, which doesn't actually scrape the internet. It takes a pre-existing human-built database that they keep adding material to, but it doesn't go out and, and sort of just hunt around to find the links that exist. It just takes billions and billions of words, billions and billions of bits of data and builds a training model to link them together into something that seems like perceptible speech. Um, and oddly enough, it sort of works. Uh, and and it, it's become this kind of phenomenon of just taking a data set and manipulating a data set. Uh, and, and that's kind of the, the sort of dirty little secret of all this, which is kind of fascinating. Um, as, as to a lot of people's sort of comedy of what it does when it finds what it's what it has in its data set and literally can't come up with a relevant answer because it's not modern enough. Uh, like I was reading about, apparently somebody was asking where could he find um, the uh, shows to watch Avatar? And uh, I think it was the, the Bing version of it um, said, uh, you, you can't, it, it doesn't exist. It's right, the yeah. movie's not finished yet because right. it's looking at, it, it, right. because its data set ends in like 2019. Correct, correct. So, <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's reading, like, it's crawling articles or it's used articles uh, to build its information right. uh, that, that were from 2019. So it's yeah. a little behind the times. When this, when this user kept asking and prompting at different questions, it got madder and madder. Like, you know, right. it was definitely turned into how. But, but pre <laughs> presumably, you know, it's it's real purpose as it gets at least initiate, initially integrated into um, search engines is to keep you from clicking away to get a little piece of information. Who was best actor in 1950? Well, the person with the best memory in the world would just tell you. Right. 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 But, right. you know, on a search engine, I'm going to click and read. It's not an instant answer. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it just it, it's a fascinating moment in time. To you, to your point, Charlie, we live in interesting times. Charlie, what I, I think it's like, um, it's how magicians uh, do their work against audiences. What what I think is like most people, unfortunately, don't have long view thinking or big system thinking. So if you go back to like the history of computing, like to Alan Turing even before, and just follow it. And the and the bursts of AI in the 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s and neural networks and you see the evolution of CPUs and GPUs. What's going on right now is actually all part of that lineage. And if you just see that slice in time, you're like, oh my God, what's happened? But if you understand the history and understand the system view and the and the connected power, what's going to computing, it's actually fairly. I, I mean, it's it's very cool. But I, the folks I know deep in computing are like, yes, this is this is obviously what should be happening right now. But I think to a lot of people, it's like, oh my God, it's some kind of magical something or the other. But it's just raw computing power with layers of sophisticated new forms of neural net, like stable diffusion or adversarial networks and, and these different things coming together at scale. By the way, our brain may not be that different. And that's probably the most frightening and shocking thing to people that we are looking in a mirror of how we might operate. That's that's the most just, it, it, our, our data it, set. Yeah. It mimics cognition so yeah. well that you think it has cognition. Right. I mean, Eugene Chung, the director, told ChatGPT to write a short script of an orc breaking up with an elf in an American diner. And within a few minutes, he had actually produced a video of that scene. It was written, by the way, in iambic pentameter. And it was brilliant. Yeah, like somebody who knows how to write the ask the right questions could have a YouTube channel getting millions of views right now. Charlie, why doesn't it have cognition? Maybe that's not this episode, but like I think it's actually human arrogance to think that something not us. Like we used to have that arrogance about animals, about like you know why can't other things in the universe have intelligence and cognition? I think we're constantly showing ourselves that yes, we are not the only things on this planet that matter. But we we keep reverting back to this like level of human arrogance that only us can have intelligence. We're the only ones that can have cognition or perception. Maybe that's just not true, and we need to be less arrogant as a species. And maybe that's a good thing. Yikes! 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 yikes. <laughs> it's the, I mean, too much for Friday morning. <laughs> too much for Friday morning. <laughs> uh, I mean, what would it's the what would Jim Cameron do thesis? Ke Kevin Roos, you know, the tech writer for the New York Times, uh, spent time with. AI being on the Microsoft campus and said that he came away with the creeps. He got the bot to say it would like to be human and exhibit hate and love and jealousy. I, I, it could be too much like us. This is part of what we're all concerned about. Welcome to Skynet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, seems less and less crazy when you make a machine that can make valid creative choices that used to be made by humans. Charlie, I think I think one of the flaws, this is, uh, I'll just throw it out there very quickly. We are, we are not necessarily thinking about how we evolved. We're making a super deity-like thing. And if you look at the universe, the, the scale of what we're trying to do, the amount of things we're trying to pack into this one thing, we're, it should not be a surprise that we're creating instability, uncontrollability, and none of this should be a surprise to anyone. But that is the train running down the tracks without brakes at an idea, which is HAL. And there are many other better ideas for AI, but why is all the money going into creating like the super version of HAL? Which because is they think, because it's, they, it, it's economics, is it not? 
I don't know. I think it's people who literally woke up one morning and watched 2001 and said, I'm going to build that. And that's the last thing they thought about. And then <laughs> they they probably didn't see other movies. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not really like the, the inception idea of why chase the monolithic, super scary idea. It's like when you're seven years old, you saw 2001, I'm going to go build Hal. And then you never thought about it again. And you just spent the rest of your life doing it. Like there may be some weird motivational drive for the folks making this that is quite not rooted in what we want as a people. Roni, have you read um, any of the books by um, uh, Neil Suarez? Uh, I'm sorry, Daniel Suarez, uh, Damon, and those books? I and actually met Daniel. He's a super bright author. Love him. Yeah, I'm thinking, I, I, was, I was blending our buddy Neil Stevenson with, with Daniel. It's like, no, no, not Neil Suarez, Daniel Suarez. Um, yeah, these yeah. Books, Charlie, if you haven't read these books, it's an extraordinarily relevant time to read. I think it's a series of three of these books. Uh, about, yep. uh, I don't even want to spoil it. Just anybody that's listening, if you haven't read these books by Daniel Suarez, um, do a little G chat GBT on Daniel Suarez. Oh, Ted, find those let's go better. Let's get, let's get them. Let's get them on the podcast. We should get oh, them. Yeah, that's You're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah that I, would I'm, be brilliant. Uh, I'm a golden retriever for you guys. <laughs> yes, <laughs> go get them. <laughs> so other XR news this week, we'll go through it quickly and then we'll get to Hugo Swart, uh, our guest VP of XR at Qualcomm, which has turned out to be probably the most important company in the ecosystem. Uh, big screen is launching a VR headset. Yeah, what do you guys I think? think? Uh, yeah, weird, right? Um, yeah, I mean, we've known about this for a long time because Paramount is a, is a partner with big screen, you know, on the content side. Uh, and they have been, just like a lot of companies, finding interesting pivot points, and they took a big bet on this. Um, my overt critique, as you've heard me talk about many times, is a wire in today's world of VR is no bueno. It is not viable. It is not scalable. You know, I think they'll have a, 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 an enthusiast audience for this. It's a remarkably capable device. Um, it's, you know, form factor is really interesting, but it, it's a throwback to the VR of yore, where you have to use Vive trackers and a Vive system to connect to it. So for guys like us, sure, it's great. For super gamers, it's great. But as a scalable, logical device, um, I think they, if they're if they're working on a Gen 2 that's wireless with inside-out tracking, they better work really fast. Charlie, I looked at it as like, if this company with whatever level of funding they have can do it, um, my God, what should Meta and Apple be able to do in VR that mm -hmm. hits so many more marks? Because they're spending like a hundred times, maybe five hundred times more than this company. But what I do admire what they did is they they've pushed down the weight. They were thoughtful about that problem, which some companies they think it's okay to put seven, eight hundred grams in your head, which it's not. And I think they're sort of moving in the direction. That, but but uh, the question is like, are they just an indicator of where the big guys will go? So is this like a a blip in time and then you know the apples or metas or someone else picks up on that then takes it one more level makes it wireless gets to 6k per eye that's kind of where everybody wants right if you're going to do it in vr just get there you know you have the money big guys you have the money there do it little little players are showing you up right now well the the thing i said when i read this was external tracking towers I mean, I, you know, okay, when I put on my, my, you know, HP, you know, sounds like this is probably a better headset, but I don't have external tracking towers and I'm willing to take a hit 
in optics to get rid of those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I don't live in a place, my office is not well suited to that. So I was very, very happy when we started to get external tracking like that. Uh, inside I had tracking like that. I think it was a big advance for us, super yeah. necessary. There is, and this gets really geeky, but there really is, is a really interesting nuance about the value of using external trackers to track a device versus trackers that are on the device looking outward. Of course. There's a slight difference in how well the perception of VR is when the device you, is tracking you versus the other way around. If, if you're in VR chat and you're doing something like, you know, sword fighting or dancing, which is, yeah. by the way, super popular uh, yeah. on VR chat and on uh, Twitch and YouTube, because people are, are, you know, streaming this stuff. And, you know, they're using multiple trackers. They're not using just two trackers. So for certain things, for full body tracking, uh, you've got to have external tracking towers or you've got to be, uh, you know, wearing straps or some other method of tracking your body in space, which is yeah, obviously. But even, more, but even more core to that, there's an actual interesting difference between how your brain perceives the virtual reality experience when you're using external trackers. So I actually still have a room in my house that is a Vive room, you know, from back in the day when we were doing Vive with an original Vive in it. And every once in a while I go into it just to remember how much better it actually is to go into some of those experiences than do things no on questions. a device. Well, the, the PC is so much more powerful. It's just better. Mm -hmm. So the idea of having this ultralight headset and to, to the point of the weight, they didn't actually reduce the weight. They just displaced the weight. Basically, they, they took all that processing and said, it's a, it's a viewer that has almost no weight, but you have to connect it to the weight device, which is the giant PC with the wires and the trackers. So it's a trade-off, right? But for those for super enthusiasts, it's great. But it's going to find a very, very small market is, is the unfortunate thing about it. Let's bring Alex in from the green room. Alex Herity. Uh, co-founder and CEO of Anima, which just uh, released OnlyBots. OnlyBots are an AR-enabled uh, uh, AI pet. So combining two of the things that that we love to talk about. Alex, welcome. Great to see you. It is great to be here. I'm so excited about it. My Do favorite you, topic. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever met Roni and Ted? No, I haven't. So this like doubles as, you know, a great way to meet. As well. Very nice to meet you. Great, great. Great meeting you, Alex. So, so we, well, first of all, you have an amazing biography, by the way, um, that Alex is, um, was worked at Epic Games and he also uh, worked at HBO um, and he started a company, which he sold to Flipboard. Um, and so uh, since then, I guess in 2021, you started um, your company. Yeah, we just, we just passed the two year, two year mark. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, it, you know, it feels, it feels like we started it you know, much, much longer because me and Neil, my co-founder have known each other for a decade. You know, that, that startup that was sold to Flipboard was with me and Neil. So th there are ideas we've been working on for a long time, but yeah, yeah, officially two years. And is OnlyBots the first release or have you guys put up other content before? No, we, we put a few other releases out, but they were, were definitely more in the experimental stage. So they were, you know, around AR art, they were AR sculptures that changed based off of where you place them in the world. And and really now OnlyBots is kind of like the flagship. You know, this is like us showing what we think is possible. Um, you know, if you ask my kids what what I do now, they would say like, yeah, he makes pets that live in your phone. So would you say this is kind of like the evolution of the very famous world of Tamagotchi that had a 
a fairly long moment in in the lives of kids in in the 90s yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, you know what's crazy is they're kind of back too. Um, yeah, well, there's a, there's a whole there's a yeah. whole NFT moment around Tamagotchi, which of course I think has dropped to the crater like everyone else. But uh, the yeah. uh, the conceptual idea of a digital pet uh, goes back, like VR goes back. It never, you know, it, like people are like, oh, VR is fairly novel concept. Not really. No. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. No. no digital definitely. pet is a fairly uh, lengthy run. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I would say if I could, you know, the sort of shortest explanation of of OnlyBots is definitely like if a Tamagotchi was invented today, what would mm -hmm. you know, what would a virtual pet be? Well, you'd be able to see it in AR and place it in your house. It would know what's around it. You'd be able to talk to it uh, through AI, uh, and you'd be able to own it. You know. So like, there's sort of a combination of AI, AR, blockchain technology, and the truth is that most people who are going to see an OnlyBot like don't need to care about any of that. Um, it's just, it's meant to be fun. Um, and, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think a Tamagotchi is probably the closest, uh, you know, line that we can say, you know, in terms of the, the behavior and the emotion you feel towards them. Right. And what, and what is the, the, the business proposition? Like, well, why is it, why does it make sense to start a company around this? How do you effectively, you know, keep yourself alive, keep the company alive and growing. What's how, what, what's the logic behind that? Yeah, yeah. So sort of nexus of, of how we found an Anima was, you know, we're we've always been big believers in AR and kind of virtual goods in general. But but the specific issue we saw with AR was that there there hasn't been really a way to collect or own it or form that relationship you do when you feel like any sense of kind of ownership of things in AR. And related to that, there was no way to like make things that were collectible in AR. So Anima was founded as the idea of like, how do we make that path happen? And then how do we, how do we make it so those creation, like one, you know, we make those, but we also enable others too as well. And kind of as the company's grown, we've realized like it, it's on us to really showcase what's possible here. And then, you know, the goal is certainly for us to open up our tech and enable more and more creators and, and brands and, and, and people and companies to build using this kind of technology. Um, that, that's the long-term vision. And, and we've opened it up to some partners, but we're we're also really focusing on like showing what's possible first. And you know, it's it's not not that different than kind of what Epic did, where you know, Unreal Engine is the core of the company, really the heart of it. Um, but they of course are always going to be building games using that technology. And then occasionally one of them may turn into a Fortnite. Um, you know, that you could never predict, but but happens. But still, you know, UE is kind of like the heart of it. And, and for us, we feel like we are an AR tech company, um, for sure. And we want to make AR, um, you know, more and more dynamic and easier to use and collectible and all these things. But but we, we use OnlyBots as the way to show that. Um, yeah, and the business is, you know, with OnlyBots, we're, you know, they're purchasable and um, over time, we'll add content to them, not unlike a season pass in a game like Fortnite, where there's more quests you can build and, and grow. And, you know, I think if you're compared to another kind of thing in AR, sort of a combination of Tamagotchi and maybe Pokemon Go and what Niantic did there. And these are public now? You can go out and buy one as a, as a customer? You, you can. They're like a small limited edition number of them right now that are available. We'll be doing a much, much wider release soon. Um, for us, we wanted to figure out a couple things on the business side around utilizing AI and how people will use it. I mean, I'm, you know, we're, we're all seeing sort of like the challenges with opening up AI to people <laughs> and what can happen. Um, and given that we're building a product that we think is for a younger demo, we like just want to be really careful with that at first. So, And the, and the goal is to go wide distribution and keep the cost low or, or are they more exclusive with a 
higher cost preference? What, what's the? Yeah, definitely long term. The, the, the goal is to make these lower cost. You know, a five. What do they cost now? Um, right now, they're it's a small NFT collection. There's only two thousand of them. They're only available in the secondary market for several hundred dollars. Um, so you know, we'll we'll have a path from this small collection to a much bigger one soon. Right. Um, but but the goal is to go wide. Yeah, for sure. Got it. You mentioned AI a lot, but not all AI is created equal. So help us understand, right? We all know how an AR pet would work and, you know, you're anchoring them to planes and, you know, I assume there's some limited interaction you can do or get from them. But the main ingredient is, of course, the relationship. Yeah. So you're using AI to create that relationship. How good is the AI? Does it exist just inside the app or is it accessing a cloud or, you know, what, what are the benefits of the AI? Yeah. I mean, I think the thing that we found the most benefit is it um, established an emotional relationship with a digital character um, in a way that was harder to do before they could talk. I mean, obviously we released only about to now, like if you're not in the beta, they don't talk yet. So soon they will for everyone, but um, I think what that does is just enables anyone who has one to feel connected to it. Um, so what we're doing is it's backed by GPT-3. Um, so we're tapping into what OpenAI has built. Um, and we then have our own model on top of that where we develop personalities for each one, their own backstories, so that every single OnlyBot has its own story. It has its own secrets. It has its own ever-evolving kind of history and, and its own like voice and its own personality. So some of them are like a, you know, a skater that talks in 90 slang. Another one might be like a poet who always rhymes. Um, and they're much deeper. I mean, the, the personality prompts are, are pretty intensely long um, because it just allows things to be that much more interesting. But we don't know what they're gonna say, obviously, you know, every time you ask them a question. Um, and yeah, and I think our, our biggest takeaway from it has just been how much more you feel connected to something in AR when you can talk to it. and and, and there's, there's a bit more to it than that, you know, because in AR, we're able to know what's around it. They can also both talk to each other if you have more than one bot in the scene and respond to things that are near it. So it knows there's a table next to it. So it can comment on that. Um, and it knows where you are and it can comment on that. And so we have all these variables in AR that enable AI to do things that are missing from a chat interface because we have access to the camera. Uh, I mean, that, that sounds obvious, obviously, but like in practice, it feels, you know, really special. Um, and then we're, we're sort of wrapping all of that in a format that is fun. Like it's not, it's not heavy. You know, this is something that's goofy. Most of them talk in slang. Um, one of them thinks she's like a Gen Z TikTok influencer. Like these are not heavy uh, <laughs> for the most part. They're, they're meant to be just entertaining. Um, you, you said the audience is kids. I mean, that's, you're describing something that seems like for, for adults or at least older teenagers. Yeah. So maybe my generic term for kids as I'm getting older starts <laughs> to mean <laughs> older than it sounds. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I think the generation that's growing up making things in Roblox and is used to both making things in three and, you know, feeling a sense of ownership of them and, um, you know, is, is who we're aiming for. 
And, and yeah, when I say kids, like, you know, I've got kids seven and under, but um, they love them, but, but no, we're not, we're not aiming to like, you know, market and sell things to little kids. Um, but we certainly are seeing like them, them being interested in this. So yeah, no, it's definitely more in the, you know, Roblox age group um, into the Fortnite one. And are you, are you VC funded or how, what's the funding bucket that you're working? We with? are. Yeah. Yeah. We're back. We're VC funded by um, folks like Coinbase in the crypto world and some, you know, execs at Riot in the gaming world and um, people like Packy McCormick, who's written a lot of on these kind of topics too. Got it. Interesting. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see who, who finds the first real hit in this category. Cause we know that you know, there's a number of folks dancing this dance. So it's kind of an interesting interesting approach to seeing what what comes next what is the one that that latches on right that everybody's talking about that breaks through that's yeah yeah i mean i, I definitely believe in the you know idea that the next big thing looks like a toy right you know i think that that's there's a lot of truth in that it's certainly how we're you know how, how we're approaching this is that like it's fun first and, you know, I'll say like only about to have said things that have brought a tear to my eyes because they've been so deep. Um, but most of it is, you know, just entertaining. It makes me laugh. I was like my kids, the way my kids react and play with them is like totally different than the way an adult does. Um, but, but I think there's something that feels so much more entertaining than, you know, most other ways we've interacted with AI and, and AR to this date. I mean, that, you know, it's, I think it just adds a realness to the and the primary interface today is mobile, is on, a, is on a phone. Is that how you're accessing the? Yeah, yeah. So the tech side of it, uh, we're just, we have some support for Android, but we're mostly on iPhone so far. Um, we use thing called App Clips as opposed to full-on app, but we have an app as well. Um, but so you can scan a QR code, pop into the AR experience within about two seconds. Um, we try to reduce the friction as much as possible. Obviously, like there's friction issues with AR at times. Um, mm -hmm. So we want to try to make that as quick as possible. Um, so yeah, you just you just scan a QR code, you can be looking or talking to a bot within a couple seconds. Alex, one one quick thought for you, because I, I did probably way too much experimentation and in, in, in kind of what you're doing. Um, I would say everything you can do to keep the company going through the end of the decade is going to be critical because the the golden age of I think of what you're trying to build is like late 2020s through the 2030s, where you know, these things get solved, they're at scale, the computer vision, the AI is just beyond belief awesome. The CPU, GPU rendering is no longer in the way of anything. So if you can like find, um, you know, stay small, find an audience, be a cult company, stay profitable, take a little bit of capital. But like, if you could just hang on, like I could, I mean, the predicted years of where things are going to go, you probably have some sense of that. But I would just say generally, if you can hang on, what you're building could be really, really big in the 2030s if you just survive as a cult until then. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's just, it's just because I, I think nothing you're saying is wrong. There's so many pieces that are coming together. It's all about just stay alive in, in what I think of as like the middle period of XR uh, so that you are there to enjoy the big win. Like it would be, it would be sad to have the right idea and not to be there when it all comes together in the most awesome way. So just do everything in your yeah. power to just kind of stay small, low burn rate, go as far as you can, make it into the late 2020s and beyond. And then I think you'll just see this amazing blossoming of your idea uh, in so many cool ways. Yeah, in the startup world, we call this the cockroach approach. Be a cockroach. Be a cockroach. Uh, yeah, just be, sip really, a little bit of water. You're going across the desert. Eat little things. Do everything. Create a cult audience. 
but like just make it there and there's like i just there's a huge rainbow of, of what you're trying to do when it all comes together and like people like ted and i know what's coming so just hang on with as, as, as much as you can you know yeah, no, no. I mean, I, I really value that feedback. Certainly, there's there's few people, or if anyone in the world, who's thought about this more than you. Um, I don't so, think anyone has. I fully believe that. Uh, I yeah, mean, you're Tim I, Sweeney I think, in his basement right now in the late yeah. '80s, and yeah. look how long it took for Epic to turn into what they just have that endurance and. Like, let's talk again. In, well, hopefully before, but like in ten years, let's play this back. I think this guidance to you is going to be pretty spot on. Yeah. I mean, I think one thing we've learned even, you know, the, obviously the, the broad vision of Anima as a company is, you know, is wide is, is like anyone can create and collect an AR. I think for that to be compelling, you know, what you're talking about is like so necessary. We're, you know, what we found is that if we're able to focus on something narrower, which is virtual pets, right? that like you want to collect, you enjoy talking to, like that could be, you know, for us, we see that as, as a pretty substantial opportunity to be a financial hit and allow us to keep moving towards that big vision that requires those other pieces to come in place, you know, that you're talking about. So, yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, the good news is I've been through the startups world a couple of times now and, and we're not the type to burn through our funding quickly i'm the only non-engineer in our company <laughs> Did you? so it's i'm the only one who doesn't write code in our in our you know our, our team of, of eight or so have, have you followed ed sachi's work with uh, wolves in the wall uh, which is a vr experience which features uh, an ai driven character and you are her imaginary friend uh in the simulations based on a story by neil gaiman um and so the character that Sachi created was called Lucy and he tried to give Lucy a life outside of the VR film that he made and so he had created a system using GPT-1 so this is like five years ago four years ago where Lucy could text with you and would remember who you are and have some context to have a relationship with you and they did a pilot with like 200 people. And of course, as a, as, a, as a reporter or a writer, you never actually hear how these things turn out. You're only sort of there at the press release, right? Oh my God, Anima may raise $9 million. Wow, these guys are a real company. Uh, and, you know, I'm never there at the end, uh, as Roni said, 10 years from now to say, well, how did that go? <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. You, you just you just get to check in at the milestone. Yeah, so I don't know what happened with that, about. but it was a very yeah. early example of somebody trying to create a relationship between a user and an AI. There was no, yeah. as I said, AR element, which I'm sure adds a lot of interactivity to it. But the idea that you have this relationship with an imaginary character, it is compelling, provided that there's enough depth to it. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I'm I'm not familiar with it, but I'm I'm gonna dig in. Yeah, and and I think we we definitely see a few trends coming together at the same time that make us feel like, you know, only about specifically can work. You know, and one of them is you know even though sort of the broader, you know, widespread use of AR as a creative platform, you know, maybe dependent on a few other things to happen first. You know, maybe it's dependent on Apple to sort of enter full fledged or you know for us to be wearing headsets. Um, but I think that we are seeing people getting comfortable interacting with AI, you know, and we'll see that more and more, right? I don't think there's anything putting something 
we can't put that back in a bottle now. Um, but how do we do that in a way that's like fun and funny and not intimidating and like not, you know, an only bot hasn't told me yet that it's been a good bing, you know, thank God or whatever the phrase is that, that has been been going around. And, you know, we're able to put guardrails on that. Um, and then on that, you know, on the same note, there are some like digital good headwinds happening around how people do want to feel a sense of ownership of what they're collecting. And, you know, we don't talk about these as NFTs as much as possible. You know, we don't, we don't think that that's, we think it's a piece of technology, not the story. And, and so we think, you know, these things coming together and then sort of packaging in a way that feels like fun and, um, you know, emotionally rewarding um, lets us like, you know, it, it feels like it's the right time in, in a lot of ways. Um, but, you know, to Ronnie's point, there, there's, it's, it's going to get so, so much bigger. And it's important that we're ready for that. You know, I don't think it'd be the right time for us to start our company right ahead of that change. Like, I think it's important for us to learn and, and expand and grow now, but, but grow in a way that's like indicative of the current state of the market, not, not ahead of it. That's really smart. Um, that's about all the time we have, Alex. It's great to see you. Thank you so much. And congratulations on OnlyBots. Um, not not sure if I'm going to go get one in the first round. I may wait for the they, less expensive, more they, sophisticated, uh, more developed version. Um, but can I you still get one or are they sold out? Uh, they're sold out right now. We will be releasing some more and, and guys, I have your contacts. So, you know, maybe I'll, uh, we're oh, yeah. let, let me get a, let me get a review. I would pen. love, yeah. I would love <laughs> to see you guys, uh, you know, as some pen. early testers, because I yeah, think you'd, we'll, uh, you'd enjoy we'll, it. We'll bring one on the show next time. Yeah. Come back and bring, oh. a, bring your pet. Yeah, we did have an article about us like last week and in, in some press. And I think it was the first time an only bot was interviewed. Um, yeah, I don't think we had done that in any of the articles. So it's can funny. we live stream it? Like that would be so cool, Alex, to have you and the only bot in another window, all of us talking together. Is that possible? It's like super easy. Yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. Like I could set that up pretty easily. Yeah. yeah, of course it is. He just gets his partner to sit there with his smartphone, and we um, yeah. turn on Zoom and screen share. Yeah, yeah. No, super easy. That would be cool. All right. Well, that's a date. Uh, Alex, good luck, and let's check. Be, let's not be have one of those relationships where I don't hear from you ever again. I want to know what happens to your company, Charlie. And I your promise pet. there will be a reason for us to talk again. Oh, I know, soon. and we're always going back and forth on social media. That's why it's so much fun for me to meet you in person. Yeah, same. All right, thanks, guys. It's great. All right, to meet you. have a great weekend, everybody. That's our show. See you Thank next you, week. guys. Yeah. Bye. Bye.